listening to KYRS, uh, Medical Expo Can at 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour, and I'm one of your hosts, Mike Malsom. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. Eric, I'm going to let you introduce our guest because you, you have a little bit of a story here on, uh, on how you got connected with our guest. Well, I don't know how interesting of a story it is, but um, Kate Lebo, uh, I, I, I was doing uh, writers in my classroom during the last month. They would come in through Zoom and they would teach whatever they wanted to teach. And Kate Lebo, a friend of mine, um, chose to teach one of Chelsea Martin's essays in uh, my class and the students really responded to it and I responded to it. I hadn't read it yet. So I thought, well, I want to I check out the book from the library and I read it and I was really impressed by it. So I asked Kate to please introduce me to Chelsea and she did and Chelsea agreed to come on the show. So uh, Chelsea, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. And I, I looked at your um, webpage recently, your, your social media, and you've got a, a new book that's going to be coming out next year. Is that right? Um, yeah. So fall of 2022 is when it's slated for. And it's, yeah, it's a novel. So that's pretty exciting. Um, my longest work by far. And yeah, so I'm like very excited. I'm just at the beginning stages of, um, you know, I just sold it. So I'm not even really working with my editor yet, but um, yeah, so pretty far away, but <laughs> the novel's finished already. Um, well, I have, you know, my final draft that I sent out to publishers, but so, but I'm still going to be doing edits with right. my editor at soft school, which is the publisher I sold it to. And it sounds like after I, I read the a brief, um, description of the novel, and it sounds like it might be a little bit based on your, um, experiences at art school. Is that, it, can you tell us a little bit about what the novel's about? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's heavily like influenced by my feelings I had at, in an art school in the Bay area. Um, but it's fiction and it's about, a a girl who's a sophomore in, um, undergrad art school and she's taking on this project this film project to remake Rushmore the, the movie Rushmore even though she's never seen it and so immediately she uh, realizes that this sounds like really like a bad project and like something she doesn't really want to work on but she's kind of stuck doing this project it's a, and it's a semester-long project it's like her big film project she has to do so She's doing that, and simultaneously, her uh, older sister, um, who has a young child, disappears, and her their mom takes care of the baby, and it's kind of just like a lot of family chaos, and uh, kind of um, makes the main character start thinking about like what the point of making art is when there's all this all these problems in the world and people are suffering and people close to her are suffering and she isn't helping and she doesn't know how to help and is instead making this project that doesn't mean anything to her, but it's so important at the same time. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like all over the place kind of, but it's about the struggles of being an art student and how, how weird it, weird that is, especially when you're like from a poor background and not from a family that understands art and why you're doing it sort of autobiographical in terms of you went to art school um 
you know, and maybe came from a place that was far different than maybe San Francisco or. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely had a lot of inspiration from my personal life for sure. (laughs) Yeah. But the story isn't my story. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of like, I mean, I think I feel like a lot of fiction is like that where people, the authors draw from their personal experiences and like make this like strange mass of all these different things that weren't really connected, but then they are connected. So you write about them as if they're connected. Now, is this going to be your first novel? Because I know you had the collection of essays and you've had other books. You've had uh, books with your art in it. Is this going to be your first just straight novel? Yeah. um, Yeah, definitely. So I have short stories and um, poetry and uh, I did write a novella. But yeah, this is my first novel. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And since we're talking about art school, um, the... I, I can't say it, so I'll have to remember to bleep this out on the on the radio. But um, your essay about going to art school was titled "How to Bullshit." Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I mean, and then also during the essay, you were talking about it was three thousand dollars for this class and three thousand dollars for this class, coming from a background where you didn't have that money and you were borrowing the money. So this is kind of a long roundabout way to ask you. Um, in retrospect, are you glad you went to art school? Um, I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> uh, and I think I am. I, you know, I was, I grew up in this small town. I wasn't really planning on going to college. And then last minute, I just applied to this very expensive art school and got in. Um, so and it was like a huge, huge cost that I'm going to be paying for forever. It's a huge burden, but it did get me out of the small town that I, and I don't think, I don't know. I mean, I'm always trying to think of like what other ways I could have found out of uh, Clear Lake, California. And I just don't think there were many that weren't a college scenario taking me out and giving me all these other experiences and really engaging me and um, making me think about what who I was and what I wanted from my life, which I feel like an art school, especially you just are constantly thinking about yourself and what you are and what you have to offer. So I am glad I did it. Yeah. I think it just gave me a lot of opportunities and a lot of um, insight into lots of things that, yeah, it's just kind of scary to me to think how close I was to not doing it. So. And if you didn't do it, do you think you'd still be in Clear Lake? I don't, yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, yeah, I had no other plan. (laughs) And did you choose art school because that's something you've always had a interest or passion in, um, or was, you know, or were you inspired by somebody to take up art? I mean, is it something you've always done? Yeah. Like I was a artistic kid and I, um, I wrote a lot as a kid but not in a way where I always knew I was headed there, but just in a, it's just one of my natural interests. But, and I wasn't, I was never like a very engaged student in high school or anything. So it like, but I started taking ceramics in high school and I got, and my ceramics teacher was great. And, um, I just got very into ceramics and, and he kind of taught me other stuff. He, was, he introduced me to screen printing and we 
did all kinds of other things. And I, and I took his community college art courses and just kind of like, was like, oh yeah, I do like this. This is um, something I think I could pursue. Let's apply to one art school and see what happens. Well, and I have a, I have a friend who, well, first of all, we're both teachers. That's how we met. So it's nice to hear that a teacher inspired you. Um, And I have a friend at, I teach at Lewiston Clark High School and I have a friend who always um, harasses the ceramics teacher at LC and he asks him how um, Bongs 101 is going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a big problem for ceramics teachers. (laughs) So um, are you still in contact at all? Have you been in contact with your ceramics teacher since you graduated? No, I haven't talked to him since I left high school, unfortunately. I do think about him all the time, but um, I'm not great at keeping up with people. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the reason I ask is it's your senior year, you had five classes with him. Was that right? How you just kind of yeah. had your schedule cleared so you could I had ceramics, 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 English, ceramics, <laughs> whatever else I had to take. But like, I don't know, history. I have no idea. He like invented new classes for me because I couldn't keep taking the same courses over and over. So he would be like, oh yeah, ceramics seven, that's a class you could take. It's like, cool, yeah. Do you just still do ceramics now just for uh, some creative outlet? Um, I would li- I would like to. I was doing the, um, I did a class at the Spokane's Potter's Guild, I think it's called. Um, a couple years ago. And yeah, I loved it. I haven't done a lot of it. I mean, ceramics is kind of one of those things where you have to have a lot of equipment and you have to have the studio. And so it's not something you can really do casually. You have to kind of be part of uh, a a studio or a a guild or something that has kilns and stuff. But yeah, I do love it. Well, and you mentioned, so you're from Clear Lake, you went to school in the Bay Area, and now you're up here. And I was reading some interviews. earlier today and you moved up here to be near your uh, boyfriend's family who's in Coeur d'Alene, right? They're in Post Falls. Oh, Post Falls. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so you've been here four years, is that right? Um, I guess so. Yeah. Is, is Spokane starting to feel like home at all or does it still feel like a weird place? <laughs> it's definitely a weird place. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it feels like home just as much as anywhere has I guess uh it's hard I don't know I feel like it's hard moving somewhere as an adult without any real social connections and kind of having to make that out of nothing that's weird and and you kind of feel like you're not connected very well to the place but I have met a lot of people so yeah I feel like it's starting to feel like home and someplace I feel sort of connected to. Now, it seems like for a writer, there's a lot worse places you could be than Spokane because it seems like Spokane is in a good run of some really talented writers that are getting published and and a lot of, uh, you know, good recognition for kind of being a little bit of a hotbed for creative writers. It's kind of amazing. There's so many amazing writers here. And the other amazing thing is how supportive everyone is of each other and how much how they know each other and 
and and are like yeah it's just like i have never experienced a place like this where there's so many writers that all love each other yeah that's that is one of the nice things not just in writing we we get that a lot from our you know our local musicians and our um just you know really? our visual artists our painters you know there's there seems to be a more of a uh, a supportive community rather than a competitive community, even though yeah. a call for art, sure they're competitive because they all need, need the work, but, but they all support each other and try to help each other out as much as possible as well. Yeah. Why does that happen? Why is that? It's so funny. <laughs> so unique. Well, Cause we've, we've heard from other artists that come from places like maybe Seattle or Portland, or maybe even probably the Bay Area, too. I'm trying to think where it is much more of a competitive thing. And then there's also, it's kind of weird, like there's a hierarchy of class almost. Like you're in some sort of class of artist, you know, and you're trying to break in, and then there's the establishment. Right. Um, and we really haven't seen that, or at least in our conversations with several artists, we haven't seen that here in Spokane. Yeah, it's like everyone's doing something kind of different and everyone's just like, yeah, you get it. Like, we're all in this together. <laughs> well, and I think it might be we have a little bit of the, the the kid brother complex or the kid sister complex where Spokane is considered, you know, not as cool as Seattle or Portland. And, and Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've had some writers uh, get popular and move away, but then we've had a really important writer get popular and, and stay here and set his novels here. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is this weird little brigadoon right here in the inland Northwest, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. And it's also just so much more affordable than those cool cities. And so you end up having a lot more time to write and think and just be a person, mm-hmm. which is, um, pretty, cool <laughs> like as a creative person like there's really nothing to compare that to you know now having more time to think um as you were saying that has covid helped you in that regard as far as your writing or planning your future projects or anything like that versus oh i can't i can't be creative because of the covid i mean yeah be two different paths that people go on at for sure. It's a lot. It's a lot of stress for sure. Um, I also have a one and a half year old um, and I'm a new mom. So that is a real time suck. <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's been kind of a good distraction from the COVID stuff. Cause I'm just so um, consumed with his needs and the daily baby stuff. So that's cool but it is like very between the COVID and the baby and like every other little thing that needs to be done it's like it is very little time to think and do stuff um but i do find some time i i feel like um coming into motherhood i've felt like a lot of um pressure to stay um productive and keep writing and not fall into the like you're just a mom thing um so that's been like kind of uh, a weight on me that i'm like pushing through and i feel like that's an extra motivator to like get something done every week you know even if i just have an hour in the week like really use it and <laughs> try to make something happen so that i can feel like i'm doing it and like being a writer still. 
Well, that was going to be one of my questions because I, I read a couple of your essays about um, being pregnant and, you know, finding out you were pregnant and trying to get pregnant. And then, so you wrote a lot about that. And then I couldn't find anything about after the fact about yeah. being a mom. And I wondered <laughs> if that was a fact, you know, and, and this, then this is kind of a two-part question. I wondered if it was just you're busy or I wondered if, because there was in another interview, you said that writing about people in your life was was kind of awkward and exhausting. I don't remember the exact terms you used, but I wondered if you are moving away from that sort of self-confessional and you decided not to write about being a mom or if that's just something you haven't gotten around to yet. Um, well, I, I did write something at the beginning of the pandemic about having a tiny baby in pandemic and, okay. um, and like this, the sleep issues we were facing okay. while being stuck at home nonstop and kind of just the real, like how, like it was called how many hours are there in a day now? Cause it just felt like everything was just one day and it didn't, it didn't ever change to the next day because we weren't sleeping. But yeah, I, I kind of am writing less about motherhood and the baby than I expected to be. I don't really, sh I, I am trying to, um, start a new novel and have another big project to work on while, while I'm um, finishing up the last project. Cause I, I feel like it will help me stay sane with like book promotion stuff, which is like gross. So that's like a motivating thing for me to like work on that. So I think I'm just kind of focusing on something else rather than little articles and stuff like I was doing before. What do you like about working on a novel now that you've just completed one or in the process of getting it edited and completed versus the, um, you know, the short story or the essay? Are you finding this a, a what, what's different about it for you as a writer? Well, I kind of accidentally wrote the, the last, the novel I'm just finishing up and I expected it to be a short a story or maybe a novella and it kind of just I just kept having ideas about the character and what else was going on with her and all the things she was thinking about and it just kind of turned into a big project that uh it did not plan for but I it was really cool to spend that much time um with one character and with one story and uh yeah, so I really liked it, and I felt like um, it just turned into something that feels really concrete, which you, which I've just never felt about a short story because there's not, you know, just not as much information. So that's I think that's cool. I would like to, I'm trying to write another one. So well, good luck. You're Thank you. <laughs> a lot of what you've written has been about you and your last book was a book of essays about your life. And, and this is, kind of, I don't know, as I was reading it, I was thinking this hangs together a lot more like a memoir. And, and, and I know you published those in a lot of different places and they were all kind of separate, but um, did you ever consider calling it a memoir instead of a book of essays or do you see it? as all, all those different things being separate? I set out to write it as a collection of essays and I had most of the ideas together before I started writing any of them. And it was always 
meant to be a collection of essays in my mind. I love essay collections. I love reading them. I, I feel like it's very cool to see these different snapshots of, of moments that are connected and you can kind of see the growth happening um, without it being sort of like extremely related or like buttoned up feeling like a memoir kind of sometimes is. So that was always my intention. I did talk to some publishers that wanted me to go that, like make it more of a memoir, make it more of a one, um, one long piece, but it just didn't feel, that's just what wasn't what I was going for. Sure. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for the weekend. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Woman's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. You're invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office, each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. You'll hear the best in progressive American roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS. Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting Give KYRS to 44321. That's all one word Give KYRS to 44321. Art Hour receives support from Saga, the Spokane Arts Grant Award. Information online at spokanearts.org. And you mentioned that you love essays. Who, who are some of the essayists you love to read? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, my one of my good friends, Chloe Caldwell, is one of my favorite essayists. Um, uh, I don't know, so many. Uh, Emily Gould, uh, a, lot, a lot of female writers. Uh, yeah. I, I hate being put on the spot about stuff like this. I'm like, I feel like I lose all the information that's in my brain. <laughs> like, where's my bookshelf? I know I have more to say, but yeah, I don't know. And like, just all kinds of, I don't know. I just also just love reading like essays online and things on, you know, the cut or whatever, but yeah. 
Have you ever thought about um, teaching writing? Uh, no, just thought about it. <laughs> I don't feel like I have taught some workshops and stuff. I don't feel like that's um, for me. <laughs> I mean, when so you went to you you took ceramics, you know, five five classes of ceramics, you know, in high school, and then and then uh, your English lit class or your writing class. Um, when did you really kind of know that, you know, this is really where I got to go? And and, and was it like I got to do this? I can't not not be a writer, or um, did you just kind of land softly into it? Um, well, while I was at art school, I tried all kinds of different things. I, I went in as a, as a painting in the painting department and then I moved to illustration and then I got, um, into textiles and I was really into weaving and, uh, I kind of had like, I was getting really, really into weaving and I love weaving and it, and it was kind of felt like ceramics where it was like, what, how are you going to do this? like in your as a job or like even as a hobby like how are you going to do weaving at home you need a giant loom text like yarn is expensive like this is not practical and like this is not a career at all so i ha was having this kind of existential crisis and i'm and i'm in art school i don't know if i can swear but i'm in freaking art school so expensive i'm wasting so much money doing something i know i can't do when i graduate I don't have a loom. Um, and at the same time I was taking, I took a literature class and I took a creative writing class as, as required by my program. And they were both so inspiring to me. And I was just reading all this stuff that was blowing my mind and I was writing and I had all these ideas for writing and I just wanted to write all the time. And it was like, I can do this. I can do this. Like writing costs no money. I can do it anywhere and I don't need supplies and I love it. And so this feels like a very practical way to move forward and like have, have an artistic and I'll obviously like, I know I can't, you know, there's not a ton of writers who can make money writing novels as their only income. And I knew that, but um, I feel like there were more examples of writers doing well than there were of weavers doing well. Like, <laughs> so it seemed like there was somewhat of a a path to take <laughs> too. So yeah, I feel like yeah, some that semester in college was just like my my turning point, and and it was just like yeah. So what would you like to get your first piece published? I mean, what what was kind of going through your your head was it like really motivating um in terms of like yeah i think i can really actually do this maybe even for a living you know to some extent or uh was it just like oh this is the first step in in a long bunch of steps to kind of reach my goal as a, a writer um i mean yes the, the first thing i published was in a really s small journal I don't even remember what it's called and I didn't get paid and it took, you know, like a year to come out after it was accepted and I didn't get, I didn't get paid in, for anything for years. 
Um, so it was very a slow buildup and I still haven't reached a point where I'm like, yeah, let's, I can do this as a living and haven't gotten there, <laughs> but it's been like a very slow progression of, um, of, uh, how serious I feel like it is as, um, I mean, I, you know, in the early years, I just wasn't thinking of it as like, this is a career moving thing. I was just having fun. I loved writing and I loved publishing and I loved it. You know, um, I found like a great online community and was like talking to people online and sharing work and we were all publishing and it was so fun. And that's all it was to me. I was like, this is great. Like I could just work at a cafe for the rest of my life and I'll just write on the side as like for fun. (laughs) Well, and now I've seen that you've been in the Inlander multiple times. Is that something where you just say, I have an idea and you pitch it to them or do they come to you? How did that kind of come about? Well, they approached me initially and asked me to write um, a column monthly um, with no uh, real agenda, just like whatever I want. So that was um, awesome. And I had already wanted to write for them and I just never, you know, like, it's kind of like, writing for magazines and things like that is kind of like stressful you the normal way to do it is like you pitch an idea and then they're like yeah this that works like maybe in this vein and I just find that whole process very stressful so I don't really approach magazines like that but I did I was like oh I want to write for the Inlander (laughs) like that seems like the cool thing to do here but so then they approached me and I was like this is perfect and I did that I think for a year and then I didn't want to do it monthly anymore but sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll just send it so that's cool to have that you started the zine fest or something like that here in spokane maybe last year or the year before it's great yeah um yeah we had let's see i think three zine fests and then um covid has stopped us from having another one but um yeah it's it's been great yeah it's a cool way to see what other people are doing it's a cool way to make a little bit of money um yeah i've had a lot of fun doing that. Now, how yeah. many people did you get to, to submit into that um, zine fest that you started? Um, I think we had 30 or 40 different tables. Oh. And some people were alone and some people had little groups, uh, something like that. Yeah, a lot, I feel like. Um, we started doing it at the Bartlett uh, which was a really small venue and we kind of squeezed in there for two years. And then the, the last time we did it, we did it at the library downtown. And, it, and so we really sprawled out and accepted pretty much everybody and uh, had so, had so much going on. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's zines and, you know, people sell prints and, and stickers and shirts and whatever kind of small DIY stuff they're, they've been working on that doesn't really have another place can sell well i was just thinking you know um how big a community like the the people are into into the the zines and ways to you know do writing and and illustrations and things like that and actually present that to the public but it seemed to me like from what i heard that's a kind of a growing community here in spokane which um is relatively new it seems like for spokane yeah i mean we we me and my husband started that I think the year we moved here and we had been involved in other zine fests uh, in Oakland and San Francisco and LA 
in Michigan. And so we kind of were like, why isn't there something like that here? Like, we should just do it. <laughs> so yeah, we applied for a um, Spokane Arts grant and we got it. So we were just, we just kind of were like, okay, we're doing it. I guess we're the ones, even though we don't really know this community or have our footing here yet, just uh, figure it out. So it's been, it was like an amazing surprise to see how much um, people wanted it and uh, wanted to just go to it and support the local artists. Yeah, it, it was real, like, it was a really cool way to, to find a bunch of people and, um, and uh, kind of see Spokane and from that side when we were still new here. So I just finished Caca Dolce. And so I want to come back and talk about that. First of all, uh, how did you come across that title? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know it's from two different parts of the book, but why did, why did you decide to call it that? Um, I just thought it was like, so cool. I don't know. I really don't have a good reason. My editor was like, we can't call it that, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh really? Okay. And then like, I was like, no, we have to, um, I'm going to put my foot down. I was like a real pain in the ass about it. Um, and they let me have it. <laughs> so I don't know. I just think it sounds cool. And then did you also choose the subtitle essays from a lowbrow life? Um, I, I did come up with that, but that was kind of like a compromise so that I could keep my title. So you can keep like, cock adult. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, you have to make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and then, so as I was reading your book and thinking that I'm going to talk to you, I mean, you, like many essays share parts of your life that most people don't share. Um, and you, it just seems like that's something that that you're just really an open book in a lot of ways. Um, after you've done that, do you, does that, I don't know, I guess the question that I'm asking is, so you open yourself up and then you get reactions, reactions from people you don't know, reactions from people you do know. Is that still something that feels comfortable to you? Or did that experience sort of, um, I don't know, you, we were talking earlier about, um, writing about family members, it felt weird, it felt awkward, it felt exhausting. After you were done with that and having that out in the world, did it feel weird or exhausting or did it feel sort of liberating and something you wanted to keep doing? Um, well, that's, I mean, I am not comfortable with any of it. I'm not comfortable writing about it. I'm not comfortable uh, with people reading it. Um, I'm not an open book really. I. I'm actually pretty private. So, but writing is just, um, I don't know. It just feels like it's, uh, when you're doing it or when I'm doing it, I feel like I'm writing to an alien planet or something that just doesn't know anything I know. And I'm just telling them like, here's my thing. <laughs> and I just don't think, of, I don't think about who it's going to reach usually. I mean, so, particularly when I'm writing about myself, I'm just not thinking about it. I'm just kind of um, processing whatever I'm processing on the page. So, and then when I'm done with it and I start thinking about publishing it, then that's when I'm like, oh yeah, there's other people in, in the world that are going to be affected by this maybe, or have thoughts about it, or um, might be offended or hurt or um, whatever. There's a million things to feel, but... Uh, yeah, so then that's when I'm like, okay, that's something I'm going to have to deal with. 
Weirdly, I haven't had much reaction from people I've written about. They, I don't know if if they just don't want to read it. I don't know if they've read it or if they just haven't um, reached out to me about or felt like they needed to reach out to me about what they were feeling about it. Well, so. and even the stories you wrote about your dad, I mean, those are probably the the hardest stories I would imagine for you to publish because you you probably know he's going to read them and in a weird way your dad sort of i mean I, I don't know i mean it's just it's almost harassment in this weird way so i don't know i just i guess the question is i would feel like sharing your secrets having them out there and then getting the reaction that would be really hard to to deal with and it sounds like that's what you're telling me it is it, it is kind of weird getting those reactions because you just don't think you you don't you don't envision that reader and then when the reader is a real person that feels kind of odd yeah and you can't predict what people are going to do so it just it kind of just makes you feel more alienated in, in a way where it's like yeah i don't know what what you're going to say what you're going to do yeah my dad yeah of course yeah my dad was a was a big one for sure that i was thinking about a lot cuz i was basically being stalked by him and for a while and that's what the essay is about and um yeah so that was kind of scary honestly and then i was did a reading where he lives and he showed up and that was like the worst case scenario so yeah that was a actually just i like when i think about this book i don't think about my dad at all which is mm -hmm. kind of weird because he's in so much like so much of it but well, it seems like you've made peace with that too. I mean, that's kind of what you came up with where you just kind of cast that free a little bit. But I mean, the, the essays that he appears in, you, we see the struggle, but it seems like at the end, you're just like, well, it's not a struggle anymore. You you know how that's going to work. So it does make sense. But but because of us, it, we see that struggle. So it becomes an important part to the reader, I think, maybe more so than it is to you now. It was to the reader as we read it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how essays will keep a feeling alive like well after i'm over it it's still you know like i'll still have conversations about it even though i'm not initiating them it's kind of like a funny thing to like it like makes it like a longer i don't know how to say it but yeah it makes it like right it's alive to me much more so than it is to you because i just read it yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense well and since we're on kind of a dark subject i've noticed and i kind of didn't know if i wanted to even ask this question the, the apocalyptic language keeps rearing its head in in your writing lately, um, and I, I it it feels like that's sort of something that's really weighing on you. Have you noticed lately? Uh, I mean, and not, I'm not even talking about COVID. It seems like it was even pre-COVID mm -hmm. that that that's become sort of a a theme of something that you really think about a lot. Has that been kind of a new thing or is that something you've just felt more comfortable writing about recently? Mm -hmm. I think it's been building. I think there's just been a lot going on um, politically, environmentally, socially, that just kind of feels like everything is reaching a climax and it, it feels like there's no um, way out. And it does feel very like apocalyptic and um, and dark and scary. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I was thinking about it a lot when I was trying to get pregnant because I feel like bringing a kid into a world like that is a real weird decision. So 
yeah, that, that weighed on me a lot then too. And has having the, the baby, having your son changed your apocalyptic feelings in any way or has it exacerbated them? It's actually helped. I think I feel like I'm forced to feel more hopeful and maybe in a delusional way, but like, I'm forced to just be like, this is gonna, like, we'll find a way to work it all out. Like, I don't know. Humanity's been through a lot. Like we'll probably make it. (laughs) I don't know. Um, because I don't, I can't, I cannot grapple with the idea that I, that I'll like have created a person that will suffer when he's older just because of the world he's living in. I think I can relate to that. Even uh, my kids are grown, but having a grandson now, I think there's even at, at my age a sense now with the world the way it is and uh, a sense of being responsible to still do what you can do to make your small contribution to make the world a little bit better of a place Yeah. for, you know, for, for the next generation of y- your family that's going to be coming up through that. So in some aspects, I think having kids, when, when you do have kids, it does bring a different perspective of what it means to be responsible in a different way. It's just it's yeah. a connection. I totally agree. And I think you're just more conscious of, of, what, of what you might want to do to help or do to make things better for all the little kids. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, Eric and I being teachers, you know, all these years and we see we've had, you know, generations of kids that we've taught come through and um, yeah, there's a, just a different sense of responsibility when you're working with youth or young kids, especially uh, just coming into this world than there is if you're, if you're removed from it. At least that's my feeling on it anyway. Yeah, that makes total sense. And like, and like using that opportunity to, to get them to think, um, think in ways that will be helpful. Yeah, it'll the be world and to themselves. Yeah. I feel like seeing teenagers now, I I think they're they seem way smarter than the teenagers I grew up with and way more aware of everything that's going on in the world. So that does make me feel hopeful too that there's just more awareness and that's probably um the internet doing that, giving them the information, but um yeah, I think that's something to feel hopeful about too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. As a teacher, I feel the same way. Yeah, that's cool. Now, I had this weird question that I wasn't going to ask, but I thought I'll discuss this anyway. Um, <laughs> it's like all it's, just, it's, just, it's just such a small little question. It feels silly to even ask, but it just got heavy. So I thought I'll ask this question to, to bring it out of the heaviness. Um, uh, so do you get to design your books since you're uh, and, uh, you know, you you studied art? Or is that something that's just completely out of your hands and they they tell you how it's going to come out? Well, for the most part, I've worked with small presses that have let me decide what to do. Pretty much they have input, but they but I pretty much have done what I wanted. But then with Caca Dolce, um, Soft Skull is a little bit of bigger press and they have their own cover designer. And I didn't really they showed me ideas and, and I, I had a little bit of input, but I don't really know how much I directed the design, but um, their designer is really cool. I love everything he does. So I, I feel lucky that he designed my cover. I don't, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about that, you know, the, 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 
bigger it gets, the less control you have. And that must feel weird to kind of relinquish that control to some extent, even, even yeah. the, um, the struggle with the title, you know? Yeah, it is scary. And, and that's, and that was like a big thing to, to um, deal with when, when I got to that point, it was just like, I am used to having all this control. I like this control. I like um, using these skills I have and, and, and making the book look like what I want. Like, I, I don't know, a book cover is so personal to me. You have to, you have to promote the book. It's, it's your name on the book. You have to live with it the rest of your life. Like you should love your book cover. I really believe that. And I do think there are so many ugly book covers and I would just, I feel so sad for those authors that have to like <laughs> tour with those ugly books and like, <laughs> and like put those ugly books on their website. Yeah. Well, so as we've talked about art and as we've talked about ceramics and all that stuff, is there <laughs> some project um, that you have thought that you wanted to do uh, that, that you say this is kind of a, a, I don't know, a dream project or, or kind of a stretch goal slash dream, something that you say that's something in the future that I'd really like to try? I would love to make a graphic novel. That's like, I feel like a big long-term project. That's like a huge undertaking. I don't know if I'll ever be ready for. I'm in such awe of anyone who can do a graphic novel. Um, so that's, that's one. Yeah. Now your husband is an artist, correct? Yeah. And what kind of art does he do? And, and do you guys collaborate on anything regarding art or borrow ideas from each other? Or is there anything that you guys, um, inspire each other to do because you're both artists um he's a a painter and an illustrator um sometimes is more like mixed medium illustration um we haven't collaborated a whole lot but we do have like these like ongoing ideas that we always talk about um there's one that we've been talking about for years even before we had a kid that is um it, the, the idea is called human ATM and it's about like a dad who is like um, like a metalhead rocker guy and who but who has like kids and can't really do it. So he's just like making he's like just doing rock and like metal while he's like doing diapers or or like writes a song about how frustrating it is to um, I don't know, not be getting laid or something. <laughs> so that's just like something we joke about and I, we've always like meant to do more with it. but. Um, so stuff like that, that's just like, I don't know, we have, I think we both had like, um, or we're both just hesitant to like collaborate. A collaboration is just so weird and like fraught that I think we're both kind of nervous to actually do it. We've also wanted to make a kid's book together, but yeah. So Chelsea, is, is your husband, um, Ian from the book? Yeah. So he's, he was the drummer for Shannon and the Clams. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I see that Shannon and the Clams comes to Spokane a lot. And so do you, and Shannon was your roommate. Mm -hmm. So do you get to see them every time that they come to town? Yeah, we've seen them. Um, I mean, it's only been like a couple of times since we've lived here, but yeah, we see them when they're here for sure. And and is Ian still doing music? Uh, He, I mean, he doesn't play with anybody, but he plays drums in our basement like pretty regularly. <laughs> He's teaching our son to play drums. Are so. you musical at all? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and another question that I had too is as I was um, reading your description of Clear Lake, 
it did feel somewhat reminiscent of Spokane. Do you see mm. any similarities between Clear Lake and Spokane, especially those areas? Because you you were talking about those areas that um, you know you grew up pretty poor most of your childhood, and mm. there's a lot of really high poverty areas here areas here in Spokane. Does it feel similar in a way? Um, I I mean I still feel like I just don't I'm not com I'm like not comfortable talking about Spokane because I just don't feel like I'm that familiar with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I relate to the poverty for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, Spokane is di a lot different in that there's, there are opportunities. Like if you're a kid here who has artistic interests, I'm, I imagine there's places for you to go. And I mean, I know there's places for you to go and then clear, like there was nothing, there's literally nothing. And to get to a, a bigger city, you had there wasn't even a way you had to get a ride over a mountain. Like there's no bus, there's just no way. So it just didn't feel accessible. And it, it just didn't feel like it was even in your world to like be able to go to an art opening or a music show that wasn't just like in some of these house. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So I feel like that is like one advantage Spokane people have for sure. Um, and anyone living in a bigger city where there's stuff going on <laughs> for sure. Well, I'm thinking back to when you were, I asked you the question about art school, when you're talking about how isolated it was, you know, geographically and artistically, mm -hmm. it does sound like if it weren't for art school, it would have been hard to get out of there. Yeah. It, it's really hard to get out of there. And I've seen a lot of people get stuck there because it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to, really i mean it's hard financially to move and when you don't really have a reason to move then how do you do it like how do you just move to a city with no job and very little money like it's just it's just really in, unlikely <laughs> that you'll get it together and, and figure it out so yeah college is like i mean that's a reason and you have you know i lived in a dorm so it was just all ready to go and I didn't have to like figure out an apartment and a job and stuff. I got student loans. It was like, kind of like a, just, yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of your introduction to the wider world. I mean, you were talking about people Definitely. who actually had money and you were around people who had money and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so yeah. different from what I'm used to. And people who are interested in stuff and reading and, <laughs> and looking at the world in like an original way and trying to like make something of their lives. Like, that was all new to me. <laughs> oh, man, I think because I grew up in a very small town in Montana. And I thought coming to Spokane, like I had arrived. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is it. This sure, is, yeah. I mean, I would see, see uh, locations that I would see on TV that would show clear over there in little old Whitefish, Montana. And I thought, man, I am in the big city now. Yeah, but it is yeah. amazing when you grow up in a, in that kind of an environment. You 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 have no idea what I mean. If I went to like yeah. New York or something like that, I would have been completely blown away in terms of <laughs> that yeah. that environment. I feel like I couldn't even experience the Bay Area for a long time in a lot of ways because I was just so like close-minded, kind of from living in a small town. I just couldn't really see outside of like the things I was used to looking at for a long time. It's it's a really weird thing growing up um, in a small town with, with just like very limited everything.
So I guess that's back to the question that you probably are glad you went to art school. Any school. Yeah, really. I guess, yeah, I've talked myself into it. <laughs> we started this, this interview with that question and we finally came to the answer. <laughs> she was glad she went to art school. Yeah, and we're glad you did. So then we're glad you ended up here in Spokane. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. really great. <laughs> I'm glad I... I'm glad I had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is radiotherapy with Eric and Mike. Right. <laughs> uh, well, Mike, I think we're, we're, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, well, um, I was just going to say, um, Chelsea, do you have anything that's coming up in somewhat the near future that um, our listeners could know about or where they can – do you have a, a site that they can get links to your – published works and where, where can they find your books and those kind of things? Yeah, I don't have anything going on, so nothing <laughs> there. Um, my website is jerkethics.com, J-E-R-K-E-T-H-I-C-S.com. Um, my books are, at, I think they're at Aunties and uh, Wishing Tree. Can, can look How there. did you come up with the uh, website Jerk Ethics? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I thought of that probably 15 years ago. I have no idea where that came from. I think I just thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like everything good. I'm it's like, like cockadulty, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I put my foot down. That was going to be the, the, the name of my website. Yeah. yeah. I think chelseamartin.com has always been taken. So I just have to like, uh, I'm just rolling with jerk ethics. Like, <laughs> like I mean it. That's probably true because when I tried to do a little bit of research on you because I didn't know you at all, there was a, a ton of Chelsea Martins when I thought, well, maybe she's got a Facebook page or something like that. And, I know. Yeah. God damn all those other Chelsea Martins. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. It was really nice to meet you and it was yeah. really nice talking to you. And I just want to reiterate again how much I absolutely enjoyed uh, reading Caca Dolce and how much I am. I just finished it like two days ago and how much I'm looking forward to reading uh, some of your other stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. It's great getting to know you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. And thank you guys. This is honestly like a great, you guys are both great. Like I feel very comfortable. I usually have a really hard time with interviews. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah good. That's, that's, how, that's usually our best compliment, Chelsea, just to know that people, the time went fast and that you know, yeah. you're comfortable. So. Very painless. <laughs> oh, good. Good. That's what we want to hear.